0: This is a story about a girl
1: named Lucky. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is really great to have you here today. Today's episode is on a topic that we don't really speak a whole lot about here, but I bet a lot of us are passionate about, and that is gardening. We are joined today by Dr. Gail Lenge yotosh She is a professor of horticulture and entomology at Oregon State University and also the Master Gardener Statewide Coordinator. She's an expert in bees, in pollinators, gardening techniques, pest management, and pest safety. And today's conversation really revolved around this idea of a healthy garden. What does a healthy garden look like? What kind of pollinators are we looking to support? What does it mean when we say save the bees? This was a really fabulous educational conversation for myself because I am quite a novice gardener. I am, full disclosure, a little nervous to grow herbs on my balcony. But this was also so value-packed with information that I really don't hear a lot about from the ecological restoration and conservation space. So whether you are a novice gardener like myself, whether you're interested in this from an academic perspective, or if you're just an expert in all things garden, this is a great conversation for you. I really enjoyed speaking with Gail. I felt like this was a very warm and friendly conversation. I learned a lot from her, and I also just really enjoyed being in her presence. She was someone that I really enjoyed learning from. And I feel like that friendliness really comes off very well in the recording, so I know that y'all will feel the same way. This is a great episode to share with your mom if she is an expert gardener like my mom. This is a great episode to share with your friends who are getting into gardening for the first time. This is a good one for our Save the Bees activists, of course. There's a lot of great takeaways, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. You can find me online at Podcast, and in the show notes, my links are always there. Instagram, I've been spending a lot of time on TikTok lately. I'm just having fun with these topics. Especially with Earth Day coming up, I really appreciate the opportunity to be a resource for y'all. So if there is ever something that you'd like some more information on, or if you'd like some deep dives on a topic in the future, I'm all ears. I'm always here to chat with y'all. If you want more content like this, I wanted to flag that in the show notes, I will be linking episode 112 with Rosalie De La Forte. She's an expert on foraging, on herbs, and if you want to get to know how to use your herbs a little bit better, kitchen herbs or gardening, anything like that, that's a great resource as well, again, in the show notes. With that, let's jump right in. We are speaking today with Dr. Gail Langelotto on bees, birds, butterflies, all things native gardens. Enjoy. Hi, Gail. Welcome to Eco Chic. How are you? Hi, Laura. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to have you here today because, like I mentioned before we started recording, I am not a gardener. I don't spend a whole lot of time getting in touch with soil, I suppose, is an easy way to describe it, uh, agriculture, horticulture, but I love the field i love learning about it my mom's a big gardener so i always grew up hearing things about pollinators and what kinds of plants we want to be looking at depending on the seasons so i'm really excited about this conversation because i feel like i'm going to learn a lot
0: great yes i love gardening and i'm lucky enough to have it as part of my professional passion as well really trying to understand what the benefits of gardening are for folks since you mentioned that you're someone who doesn't have your hands in the soil on a regular basis, thought I might prime the conversation by saying there's actually a fair amount of research which suggests that that's a positive thing for uh, mental health and for physical health. That especially if you have really healthy soils, there's emerging research showing that the soil microbes can actually help. Diversify our skin microbiome and may have beneficial effects on our gut microbiome, and that those things have direct positive impacts on our mental health.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I certainly believe it. I think that, especially in conversations I have around ego anxiety or people feeling any sort of climate doomism, there is something really healing and positive about just getting outside and getting in touch with nature. So, taking that one step further. And thinking about gardening in that context, I totally believe it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing about gardening is it? it is nature, but it's also managed nature. It tends to be more accessible than having to drive someplace and to go for a hike or to see preserved areas. And the thing that I really love about gardening is that it's an opportunity to be out in the sunshine. It doesn't take a lot of mental energy on my part when I'm weeding. It's this really relaxing, repetitive task, if you will, kind of like the natural alternative to Tetris, just doing something to kill the time and um,
1: to be outside. That's hilarious. The natural alternative to Tetris. I really like that. I feel like something that is a barrier for me on a personal level is my living situation. I live in a big city. I live in an apartment. I get fabulous light. So I know I can definitely do something with patio gardening, herbs, but there's something intimidating about becoming a gardener or just starting to dip my toes into it that makes me a little bit nervous.
0: Yeah, and I think that I felt that same way before I took this position
1: at Oregon State, I myself was not a
0: gardener. I've studied gardens for many years from an ecological point of view, but I just never had the time to garden. And I almost had this impression of myself as somebody who would be a bad gardener. I think that we tell ourselves stories sometimes about who has a green thumb and is able to make things grow and flourish and who doesn't. And I think that what really helped me is working with the gardeners, I work with a lot of gardeners, thousands of gardeners, and they regularly kill plants and they regularly have what a novice would consider and internalize as a failure, but they just understand, you know, that when you're growing plants, plants are living things and living things do not live forever, that death in the garden is just part of the natural cycle. And even if that early demise of a plant might have been hastened or facilitated by some of our decisions, that that's a real learning opportunity and just move on to the next one. So I just want to share that like, I really relate to that feeling of intimidation. I think the intimidation is oftentimes tied to expectations of failure or success. Just know that the most seasoned gardener has those series of failures and successes as well.
1: That is so comforting to hear. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because you mentioned that you haven't always been a gardener, but your expertise is in gardens from an ecological perspective, I'd like to zoom out a little bit and hear a little bit about what makes a healthy garden. What makes things grow and truly flourish?
0: Yeah, so this is a really exciting part for me studying gardening today. Because I feel like if we go back a couple of decades that the garden that everyone wanted was a garden that was full of beautiful plants, but no insects like just the focus was on plants. And now fast forward to today, we have a better understanding that those types of gardens require a lot of management they require a lot of insecticides and that really those gardens are biological dead zones. So for me, a healthy garden, a sustainable garden is one which has diversity at every level. You have healthy, rich organic soil which hosts macro arthropods and microbes. You have a diversity of plants, including native plant species that can host specialist herbivores which require those specific plants in order to complete their life cycle. When you're able to build a base of diverse and abundant insects in a garden, which is almost counter to what most folks would think they would want in a garden, then that's when you can also support birds and other
1: animals that depend upon those insects for their food source. A healthy garden is a diverse garden. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. I'd love to touch a little bit further on something you mentioned, insects. And I feel like the obvious question you must get all the time When we talk about insects in a gardening setting is around bees, and there has been so much activism around save the bees, and we need more bees, we need to support our pollinators, etc. I'd love to unpack that a little bit with you. What does it mean to save the bees? Why do we need to save the bees? bees are critically
0: important to the life that we enjoy on earth today they are important pollinators of a lot of the crops that we enjoy eating and they are critical to the natural reproduction of plants in wild systems so both for crops as well as for native plant reproduction bees are super critical pollinators what does it mean to save the bees well That's a fantastic thing about gardening. Several studies have been done that have shown that really just by planting flowering plants, you, wherever you are, can have a positive benefit on bee populations and bee communities. So planting flowering plants and then you need to pull back on the insecticides. If you're using insecticides to keep your flowers beautiful, you are going to have non-target, unintended Impacts on bees and other beneficial insects.
1: Quick break. Especially during Earth Month, I like to think a little bit deeper about ways to reduce my carbon footprint even further. I was out of fresh ideas until I found Wren. Wren is a startup that's making it easy for everyone to make a meaningful difference in the climate crisis. Right now, they're focused on monthly subscriptions where you can calculate your carbon footprint, then offset it by supporting awesome climate projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, and remove CO2. Their goal is to unlock the collective action of millions of individuals to drive the systemic change needed to end the climate crisis. Working in the climate space, I feel like I have a lot of opportunity to make change, but I just don't know where to start. There's a lot of options out there, especially when it comes to donations. There are a lot of really incredible causes out there, and there's so many organizations that are doing great work that I just am not familiar with yet. So being able to find all of these options for climate solutions and climate projects to invest in In One Place really makes a difference to me and how I feel about my donations, especially when it comes to climate projects. These are organizations that have been vetted, and it's really easy to sort through and find something that resonates with your particular values. Signing up for Wren is an easy way to do something meaningful about the climate crisis. Wren practices hyper-transparency. Once you sign up to make a monthly contribution to offset your carbon footprint, you'll receive monthly updates about the tree planting, rainforest protection, or carbon removal projects that you're funding. You can even see the exact coordinates of that tree that you're planting. It's going to take all of us to end the climate crisis. Do your part today by signing up for Wren. Go to wren.co slash ecochic, sign up, and they will plant 10 extra trees in your name. That's W-R-E-N dot C-O slash Start making a difference. Thank you, Wren. Get farm-fresh, seasonal produce, and easy-to-make recipes delivered right to your door. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week. So they are always fresh all without a trip to the grocery store or the farmer's market. It's all about convenience with HelloFresh. Not only do the ingredients come in pre-portioned packages, so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on the table in a snap with options like family friendly or quick and easy recipes. HelloFresh chefs really know how to diversify the menu with seasonal recipes. On a personal note, I don't think I've ever felt as spread thin as I do these days, especially during Earth Month, working in the climate space, being a sustainability content creator. It gets hectic. Going to the grocery store is just another thing on my list to do. So it is beyond wonderful to depend on a HelloFresh meal for a farm-fresh meal during the week for dinner. I really enjoy being in the kitchen. I find it really therapeutic to chop something at the end of a long day, but I don't always have the bandwidth to, again, go to the grocery store or pick my own recipes. So having a HelloFresh meal is a really fun weeknight activity way for me to wind down. Also, while I love them so much for myself, I have also given HelloFresh meals as gifts in the past. For example, my cousin recently had a baby, and she was telling me that so many people had sent her flowers, and she was really just getting back into the groove of being at home now that she had this newborn. And I sent her a package of HelloFresh meals for a couple of weeks. She appreciated it because she didn't have to think about meals. She didn't have to think about going to the grocery store. There was a lot of value in having a home-cooked meal that she could manage on her own or that her husband could manage while taking care of this new baby. So HelloFresh was the perfect solution for her. And I have since used that as a gift in a couple of other scenarios, just when I know a friend would really appreciate it, it would add some value to their week. Pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip meals when you need to, change your delivery date, or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. Customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello custom offerings by swapping out one protein or a side for another, upgrading for a more luxurious experience, even adding protein to a veggie meal. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. I personally get the vegetarian meals and I love the option to mix it up when I have a veggie that I'm particularly craving or something that just sounds really good. Go to hellofresh.com/ecosheek16 and use code ecosheek16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's hellofresh.com/ecosheek16 and use code ecosheek16. For up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. You mentioned insecticides just now. And when we think about that in the context of saving the bees, what's happening to the bees? Is it truly just we're seeing a decrease in population because of insecticides or is there something else going on? Yeah, well, scientists
0: are still trying to disentangle uh, what is going on with the bees. We have honeybees, which are a managed non-native species. Some people actually call honeybees to be like insect livestock, so they're not representative of what might be going on in the other 4,000 bee species that we have in the United States. And so a lot of our research has been focused on honeybee declines because they are so important for agricultural production what seems to be going on with honeybees is a combination of pesticides planting crops and monocultural cropping systems so that honeybees only have a single source of pollen to eat just like you or i could not lead a healthy life if all we ate was bread or all we ate was lettuce Insects need a diversity of food in order to complete their development, and then just because they've been domesticated honeybees have picked up a lot of parasites over time. Uh, So those three things, parasites, a lack of diversity in their forage, as well as insecticides seem to be harming honeybees. For the other 4,000-ish bee species in the United States, we actually don't have a lot of research on them. Um, For some bumblebees, it seems to be habitat development. Uh, agricultural intensification and uh, the prevalence of insecticide use in agriculture seem to be implicated.
1: Is there not a lot of research on these other 4,000 bee species just simply because honeybees are more easily accessible to scientists? I think there's been less
0: research on the other bee species because honeybees are so economically important to agriculture and to crop production. There has been research, a fair amount of research on bumblebees because they're larger and easier to study. The other bees may have very short life cycles, very condensed geographic ranges. They oftentimes live underground. 70% of all bee species nest in the soil. So they're really cryptic and it's difficult to study what they're doing when they're underground. So I think that there are just practical issues with studying a lot of the other bee species.
1: That makes a lot of sense. That's so interesting. I feel like part of me knew that bees nest underground, but I did not put two and two together about how difficult that would be for research purposes.
0: Yeah. So when I said that if you want to have a bee healthy garden, you should plant flowers, that really is only one piece of the equation. Uh, We like to say that if you're truly concerned about bee conservation, you need to look down. You need to think about what you're doing in your garden if you're putting down plastic tarps or if you're covering all of the bare soil with mulch that's not going to be great bee habitat and i understand that not everybody's going to be able to make every part of their garden great soil nesting bee habitat but if there's some out of the way areas that you don't traverse as much leave the soil uncovered, let nature take its course, and that will provide habitat for soil nesting bees.
1: Interesting. It reminds me a lot of this return or perhaps uh, distaste that we're seeing more and more for the monoculture, white picket fence type green lawn that was once the American dream. And as we're becoming more and more aware of our influence on the environment, I feel like the push away from that has been so powerful and really exciting to see.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I'm not going to totally hate on lawns. I know they have their place, but I personally don't enjoy spending my time two times a week mowing the lawn and we're starting to discover alternative planting regimes, alternative garden designs that give the benefits of lawn maintenance, which really the big benefit is it's easy to manage, you just mow it but there are alternatives that don't take a lot of time, weeding and pruning as well, can be beautiful, provide habitat for birds and other insects. And I'm
1: excited to hopefully see those things take over. Can we talk a little bit about other pollinators? I'm imagining that in my limited understanding of gardening, of a healthy garden, that pollinators, to me, they sound like a signal that you have a healthy garden, that your garden is diverse enough to support these pollinators. Is that correct at a high level? Yes. Okay. I'm glad. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about other pollinators. What can we look for besides bees? What are we trying to attract?
0: Yeah, well, I would say that uh, butterflies are a very common pollinator uh, that most people will welcome into their garden. The thing about butterflies which differs from bees is that butterflies when they're caterpillars are herbivores that feed on plant tissue and so one unfortunate mistake that I see some well-intentioned gardeners make is that they will plant a butterfly garden and their plants will grow and then butterflies will lay their eggs on these plants and then the eggs hatch out and then the caterpillars eat all of that beautiful butterfly garden down to like little nubbins. And people think, oh my God, my butterfly garden is dying. I need to spray it with insecticide without recognizing that that really is ultimately what you want. Those plants will come back. They are adapted to herbivory. They will grow back in the next season. If you see your butterfly plants being eaten down by caterpillars, you should celebrate the fact that you have many baby butterflies in your yard that will
1: soon grow up and make more baby caterpillars. That's such an interesting perspective. It never occurred to me that having a healthy butterfly population would ultimately kill your garden in some sense. And in the visual obvious uh, as a novice gardener,
0: yeah, it can be visually striking. I mean, caterpillars, when they get a little bit older, right before they're going to pupate and then become adult butterflies, they eat a lot and they can decimate a milkweed patch. They can decimate... A butterfly garden patch
1: in very short order. Interesting. Are we seeing butterflies threatened in the same way that we're seeing bees threatened or are those two totally different concerns?
0: Oh my gosh we're actually seeing butterflies um, potentially more threatened and that is because many butterfly species are specialists that are only capable of completing their life cycle on specific host plants And as we have the homogenization of the plant community, people planting more exotic non-native plants, as we have urban development and encroachment, as we have the regular spray of herbicides and farming systems, that takes away the host plants for those butterflies so that uh, they don't have a critical need for their own development. And then I'll also say that climate change has been starkly affecting butterflies as well by decoupling the life cycle of the plant with the life cycle of the butterfly so that they don't meet up at the same times or potentially taking the butterfly out of its optimal thermal range so that we're seeing a progressive northward migration of butterfly species to try to stay within that optimum range Or we see them moving up elevational gradients in montane habitats. And eventually, they're going to reach the top of that mountain and have no place else to go.
1: Wow, that is so sad. My goodness. Well, thank you for shedding a light on that. Could we talk a little bit more about something you mentioned, the decoupling of life cycles, insect species, perhaps with the life cycles or the seasonality of plant species? Well, you know, we all hearken like the
0: the advent of spring, when we start seeing specific plants start to bloom here in the Pacific Northwest, the blooming of the trillium is like a sure sign of spring. What we're seeing with climate change is that plants are starting to advance their phenology. We see them blooming earlier in the season. We oftentimes see them finishing their life cycle earlier in the season. And the insects that depend on those plants may or may not also be shifting their phenology to match what the plant is doing and so as we have this shift towards earlier plant blooming an insect may also shift to emerging earlier in the season but it doesn't always match up with when its host plant is coming out
1: that is really helpful to think about as a visual timeline and seeing these shifts in the interconnected systems i I mentioned to you before we started recording, I took an ornithology class many, many years ago that really impacted my views of nature and how I think of myself as part of this interconnected system. And uh, I mentioned to you that there was a whole session or this revelation that I had around insect species and birds. And if insects have shorter life cycles, they are easier to adapt to these seasonality changes and then you have baby birds that are hatching at normal times and it's harder for them to find insects. It's harder for these birds to have, I suppose, a fighting chance of survival in their young years. And it's really difficult to think about that as a, as an individual because there is definitely this sense of like, there's nothing I can do. This is climate change. But when you think about it on that scale too, it's helpful to realize that climate is not just impacting our human systems. There are so many smaller trickle down impacts of climate change on these more micro environments yes
0: agree and i'll say that research that has been done on birds and insects and garden systems show that there is something that gardeners can do and that is by choosing native plants particularly native trees most birds are not capable of successfully fledging their young from the nest unless they give them a protein meal that is an insect, like nuts and berries and seeds, isn't going to cut it for successful bird development. And that if you're planting native trees in your yard, that actually provides a substrate to grow insects, and that enables the birds to successfully find insects to feed their young. Uh, Research that had been done in North Carolina suggested that. 70% of your plant palate should be native plants in order to support the insect population needed to keep the chickadee population going.
1: Wow, that's really interesting and striking. This bird class I took was in North Carolina. I love to call it bird class, an ornithology class, but it really helped me think a little bit more about native plants and insects and, and bird species, like just thinking about how, again, all of these things are interconnected. Y'all know how picky I can be when it comes to beauty products and skincare. I really like to do my research before buying from a brand, making sure that their ingredients are truly clean and simple, and making sure that their products actually work. It can be, unfortunately, really hard to find sometimes. Osea has been making clean and effective skincare products for over 25 years. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers. They're known for creating amazing body products like their famous body oil. And let me tell you about this body oil, there is nothing more luxurious to add into your routine than a body oil. And the famous body oil from Osea, I feel like absorbs so well into my skin. I really don't like when a body oil is just sitting on top, really slick, leaving me a little sticky and slimy. That is not the case. This body oil is truly luxurious, glowy, it leaves you soft and nourished, and you just know you're doing something really good for your body when you're putting this on. Since 1996, Osea has been creating clean, vegan, and cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet, and they've done it again. They just released a body butter, and you do not want to sleep on this product. It is proven to moisturize skin for up to 72 hours. I actually keep a little travel size of this body butter by my bed and use it as a hand cream at night because it is just so nice. Its rich texture feels so good, transforms crepey skin without being sticky. It makes your skin look so moisturized and healthy and a little really goes a long way. Like I mentioned, I like to keep this body butter by my bed. I feel like it really nourishes my skin, especially in the winter time, especially living in Colorado at a high altitude where my skin just needs a little extra TLC. And I feel like I can really see a difference, not just in my hands, but in tandem with the body oil on my legs, on my arms. I feel like my skin is being really well taken care of with quality products. And I feel like I'm really practicing good skincare for my entire body. If this sounds like you, if it sounds like something you need, I really recommend you try out these two products in particular for yourself. You can find your new favorite skincare favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for eco chic listeners. Get 10% off your first order with promo code ECOCHIC at osiamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping. You're going to want it all. Go to oseamalibu.com. Use code ECOCHIC. Could we talk a little bit about birds? What kind of birds are we trying to support with our native plants in our gardens, or if we're thinking about a truly diverse garden, how can we support birds in that sense?
0: Yeah, so I think it still comes back to native plants, That if you're planting native plants, that will do a good job of supporting the majority of the birds that uh, can be found in a typical urban and suburban area. Uh, So planting native plants is point one, whether we're talking about chickadees or whether we're talking about bluebirds, they need insects in order to successfully rear their young. I'll say the second thing that people do that needs to potentially be re-examined is we feed the birds by putting up bird feeders.
1: I was just going to ask you about your thoughts on bird feeders. I'm so glad you're getting into it.
0: Yeah. So I love, I love bird feeders. I have them myself. Great window candy when they come to visit. But the thing that has been found about bird feeders is that they're sources of disease. So, the same way that you might have a bunch of kids lining up to take a drink at the same water fountain in an elementary school, and that's really just ripe for disease transfer, that if you have a lot of birds coming and feeding from your bird feeder, defecating on your bird feeder, which they do when they eat, that that's really just ripe for disease transfer as well you need to take your bird feeder down on occasion and you need to clean it out and you need to sanitize it with a dilute bleach solution. Otherwise, it's been strongly
1: implicated with the transfer of disease and the decline of songbirds in urban and suburban areas. It makes perfect sense when you explain it in that metaphor of the water fountain in an elementary school.
0: Yeah, it's what's known as a fomite, like a, a divisive disease transfer. And the first time that somebody, I saw a talk on this, they had a picture of two kids like trading a recorder, the musical instrument. And so it's like that type of thing. You're just passing around this common thing and it promotes disease.
1: Oh my goodness. That's a really good metaphor as well. It's super gross, but really helpful to think about when we talk about our gardens and other, again, non-human systems that are susceptible to a lot of the same problems that we are. Yes. We talked earlier about the novice gardener and you gave some great advice around not being intimidated that even the best gardeners have some unfortunate turnover in their plants and anyone could really start. But if you already are a gardener, if you're already passionate about it, how can you be a little bit better? What does it mean to diversify or just better your garden?
0: Yeah, so I work with a lot of gardeners who have like Sunset Magazine worthy gardens, Fine Garden Magazine worthy gardens. And what I encourage them to do is to look beyond aesthetic beauty that a lot of the plants which are available at garden centers have these very big, showy, gorgeous blossoms. And I have to be honest, native plants are never going to be able to compete with that. They're relatively more demure. They're not as showy. They're not going to catch most people's eyes. But what I like to tell folks is that even though they may not be the bell of the ball, they have their own type of beauty and the beauty is in the biodiversity that they bring to your garden. So I'm encouraging people to think of beauty as being something beyond aesthetics, that there's something about ecological beauty as well, and that comes from the biodiversity and the dynamic life forms that you can attract with your garden to your garden by planting diversity of plants going beyond the big showy cultivars that are not going to support insects uh, for the most part and really seeking out other plants particularly native plants that can help bring more biodiversity into your garden
1: wonderful gail thank you so much for sharing that that was really inspirational i feel like you're leaving us on a very positive note oh thanks laura thanks so much for having me today thank you I hope y'all really enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And thank you so much to Gail for joining us. I feel like that was a really value-packed conversation, one that I really enjoyed. And I hope that y'all really enjoyed it as well. If you've stuck around this long, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can follow on Spotify, and you can now also review on Spotify, and I want to be a five-star show over there. You can connect with me wherever you want to online, Instagram, TikTok, all of my links are always in the show notes. And like I mentioned, I'll have another episode linked down in there if you would like to learn a little bit more about kitchen herbs and foraging and even more about home gardening. I feel really inspired. My friend Delaney has a really incredible garden in Nashville and she sent me last year some seedlings and I feel like this is my year to become a garden girl. I'm going to go get some herbs. I'm going to redo my little patio setup. I'm going to make it work for me and I will keep y'all posted on social. This is going to be a journey, but after today's conversation with Gail, after seeing everyone getting more and more involved in their own gardens, I want to be a garden girl and I think this is my year. So with that... I'll keep in touch with you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a fabulous rest of your week, a great weekend if you're listening to this on a Saturday morning going into your weekend. I hope you're well, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.